0: Welcome to Listen Closely with John and Chris, the often imitated, never duplicated podcast dissecting some of history's greatest albums. I am Chris, out on the West Coast, breathing pure, glorious air. The smoke is finally gone. Uh, with me, as always on the East Coast, is my co-host John. John. Hello. How are you, buddy?
1: I'm, I always wanted to do that. I'm doing well. And I'm, I'm thrilled to hear that you are breathing some good air tonight. Um, it's amazing the simple things. I believe it was the Hollies that once sang, sometimes all I need is the air that I breathe.
0: It's true. And little did I know how, how true to life that song was. I tell you. It, it, it really, make. really all is. All the difference. Um, you know, John, today I realized that since it's September, this unlikely friendship has turned another year older. That's 36 years now.
1: Oh, don't tell me you sent me a gift or something like that.
0: Oh, uh, no, I'm not sending you a gift. Oh, good. <laughs>
1: good. Um, but 36- then I'd have to get you one. Yeah, 36 years, right? Jesus Christ. Yeah, yeah. Wow, I don't even know what to, what to say. I mean, I'm a little caught off guard. I'm a little choked up, to be quite honest with you.
0: Well, well let's let's save the emotion for the discussion of... Uh, yeah,
1: no, i am got... That's only because I've been drinking, so <laughs> otherwise I wouldn't be choked up.
0: <laughs> What's new? Um, yeah, thanks. Yeah, But today we are actually doing our most contemporary album to date. Um, this one comes from 2004. Uh, it's a favorite of mine. I know you like it too. Do you want to do the honors?
1: Yes, we are getting so modern here uh, by <laughs> by uh, embracing the 21st century, 2004, the album is Hot Fuss, The, uh, the Artist is The Killers. Yes. Um, I,
0: you know, I remember buying this CD when it first came out, and um, this was one of those albums that just hit me immediately. Um, it is unapologetically maximalist, I would say. It's like a hurricane that just sweeps you up. <laughs> um, it is. And, uh, you know, I think from start to finish, it just has this relentless pace, uh, so many different sounds, uh, so complex, so different, I think, from so much of what had happened in the decade or so before that, um, where, you know, things had gotten so stripped down and, you know, the killers, they're, they're... You know, they're based in Vegas, they're big, they're showy. And this album was a huge debut success right out of the gate.
1: Huge. And it came out of nowhere, I think. Um, You know, for me, this was a breath of fresh air in 2004. Um, And it was it was such a surprising album, not simply because it came out of nowhere. But Chris, their sound was not what you would expect from a new American band at that time, right? I mean, Hmm. when you, you talked about the decade or so prior, but I want to go back just a couple years prior and, you know, starting around 2002, let's say, popular music in the United States was sort of suffering from a hangover of sorts because you had like a five-year run of this excessive bubblegum boy band stuff uh, and all the girl pop of the late 90s and I'm talking about Britney Spears, Backstreet Boys, In Sync, uh, Christina Aguilera, Ninety Eight Degrees. I don't think you want me to go on here listing them. Um, so you get to like 0203. These bands are still putting out music, but it's not selling nearly as well as it was in nineteen ninety nine or two thousand. So all of a sudden, there seemed to be kind of a a whiplash of sorts uh, to all that in a. Uh, A trend in earnest acoustic singer-songwriters who would top the charts in the states, and I think you know the the first two that come to mind would be Jason Mraz and our old buddy uh, and former classmate John Mayer. Um, And with all due respect to these guys, and especially Mayer, just wasn't wasn't something that really excited me all that much. Uh, You and I have spoken a lot about the Thorns which was kind of this acoustic folk rock, uh, trio, super group. Uh, they put out one album in 2003, right? And that was what Matthew Sweet, Pete Droge and, uh, Sean Mullins, um, Sean Mullins. Thank you. And it's a phenomenal album. We'll get to that in a future episode, but that was so 2002, 2003 that earnest straightforward, simple folk rock. And then, If you look at what's going on on the other side of the pond, it's a different story at that time. You had bands like Interpol, Arctic Monkeys, Franz Ferdinand, and they're all sort of a throwback to 80s new wave, even some 70s glam with some catchy stint-laden pop hooks. You know, the formula was to sort of throw in equal parts New Order, Depeche Mode, Duran Duran, Berlin-era Bowie, a hint of Roxy music. So the point of this, this lengthy diatribe, is that when I first heard The Killers, Chris, and I think it was the same thing with you, and for the first six months or so of listening to them and to this album, I thought they were from the UK. Uh, And I think that's one of the things I love about this group. They're shameless, and their love of 80s alternative rock and new wave, and they constantly wear their musical inspirations on their sleeves. Um, This is a big album, Hot Fuss and you hear on it the aforementioned influence of the likes of Duran, Duran, New Order, but you also hear bands like The Cars and Blondie. Um, Listen to the song Atomic by Blondie, and you will swear that the killers derived their entire sound from that one track. Hmm. So again, this was such a surprise. This came out of nowhere. It was like a lightning bolt as far as I'm concerned.
0: Absolutely, and it was... You're right. It was so different. You know, you were talking about the sort of bubblegum pop and the acoustic stuff that came before this, you know, even if you go back a little before, then it was grunge. Um, you know, and it was all this stuff that was very earnest. Um, I don't know if, if all of this was sort of, if all of those movements were kind of some reaction to the excess of the eighties. Um, It kind of seems like it in retrospect, because everything, you know, became very stripped down and earnest, Um, you know, and I just love that the Killers came out and they were like, hey, we're going to be big and bold and brash um, and have some songs that, you know, they're in your face and they just sweep you up. And. And that's fine. That's, that's, um, you know, it it was, like you said, a, a breath of fresh air to me. Um, and I, you know, this is a band, this might, the Killers might be my, my favorite band of the 21st century. I, they have. That's a
1: bold statement. That's a very bold statement.
0: I know, but they, they're so good and they continue to come out with good stuff. Even, you know, the album that they released this year, um, has some really good stuff on it. And I feel like every time they, they get a little more refined Um, You know, they kind of keep their core and their essence, but they, you know, they tweak it just a little bit. And this first album, I think, you know, might be, I think, the most different of their albums in that, to me, it has a real rawness to it. Um, And, you know, I think later they kind of get into, you know, later they almost morph, they morph this big Vegas kind of Showtime stuff with the smallness of like Springsteen style, you know, teen
1: romance story. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, they. You hear a lot of Springsteen on the follow-up album, Sam's Town. I mean, it's absolutely, very, absolutely. Uh, but, uh, but again, there they are. They're, they're wearing their influences on their sleeve. Like I said, a moment ago. And, yeah. you know, Brandon Flowers is, I think right around our age, probably a couple of years younger. He yeah. grew up with older siblings and I've seen interviews with him where he says that, um, you know, they introduced him to to all different artists at a young age, and that really shaped his his musical influences. And I think it's obvious, uh, like you said, you have that Springsteen component, but then you have the synth, the keyboards, the the glam. Uh, it's it's a little bit of a, a minestrone with a little bit of everything in there, you know?
0: <laughs> it is, it is. And what I love about Hot Fuss is it's, you know, it's the first one, and it has this kind of raw really edgy feeling. It, to me, it almost has more, a lot more of like kind of punk or post-punk sounds to it um, than a, a lot of their later stuff. Um, and going back to it, it, man, it just grabs you.
1: It does. It really does. Uh, it didn't necessarily grab all the critics when it was released in 2004. Um, the reception, at least stateside, was quite mixed. Um, Entertainment Weekly gave it a C which I find quite surprising. Mm. Rolling Stone magazine gave it three and a half stars out of five, though they did say that, quote, this album is all killers, no filler, end quote. Um, And a few years later, Rolling Stone ranked Hot Fuss the 43rd of its 100 best albums of the decade. Uh, The album fared much better in England. It topped the UK album chart for two consecutive weeks in January of 05. It was the 26th best-selling album of the 2000s decade in the United Kingdom. The British publication, Q, released a list of the best albums in the magazine's lifetime. Q's lifetime ranged from 1986 to 2010. Hot Fuss was ranked number 17. Now think about that, 1986 to 2010. Hot Fuss is higher than a lot of far more popular albums. So that should say something.
0: Absolutely. Like you said, you know, they, they have this very British feel to them. So uh, not surprising that they would do better on that side of the pond.
1: And I feel like they always have. And I think they've continued to do much better in, in the UK than, than here in the States.
0: Yeah, I think that may be true. Um, you know, I I think what's interesting about this album too, um, w- things that I I didn't know. You know, they they came up with Mr. Brightside very early on, um, and then they went into the studio to do this album, and they basically ended up scrapping all but I think two of the songs, one of which was Mr. Brightside. Um, Brandon Flowers said that he had. Uh, in the middle of you know recording all of this, they had gone into the Virgin Megastore and bought the Strokes album. Is this it? On the day it came out, he told NME in an interview, and he said, "When we put it on in the car, that record just sounded so perfect. I got so depressed after that. We threw away everything, and the only song that made the cut and remained was Mr. Brightside." Um, oh, wow. and they went back and they you know they drew up. the rest of these songs. Um, But you know I I look at a song, we may talk about this later, Mr. Brightside, to to think that that's one of the first songs that that you come up with is, uh, it's kind of mind-blowing. That is. Why don't we move on to the picks here?
1: I'm ready when you are. All right let's do it. All
0: right so as much as we both like this album, You know, we always start with the nadir, the low point. Um, For you, John, what is the nadir of Hot Fuss?
1: So, Chris, there are a couple of songs in this album that I'm not crazy about, but the one that really just doesn't sit quite right with me is, ironically, the song that's called "Everything Will Be All Right." Um, I just feel like it's repetitive and monotonous, and you know, maybe this is the point of the song, but when I listen to it, it makes me. Uneasy and I don't quite feel like everything will be all right. I just don't particularly care for the song just as simple as that. Yeah
0: See, I, I think that is the point, you know, I think it's it's ironically, you know They just keep repeating that refrain. Everything will be all right. And it's got this very distorted Sound to it um, Where you're absolutely right. It it does not sound like everything's gonna be all right. It sounds like some weird shit is going
1: down um, I don't disagree. I just don't think it sounds like the song's going to be all right. I mean, I just don't. I, right. okay. yeah. I, I get nothing out of it. You, you appreciate
0: the, uh, the thought, but you don't like the...
1: I appreciate the thought, but yes, it's, um, I, I don't particularly like the final product.
0: Well, okay. I mean, that's fair. I think it's worth noting that this, um, you know, this album has some, some pretty dark shit on it um it, it has a couple songs that are about murder um not sure if you if you caught that there that's right um you know there there's i guess originally it was a trilogy right supposed to be um jenny was a friend of mine midnight show and then a track that was cut uh leave the bourbon on the shelf which ended up being a b-side um i'm sorry it was on the album sawdust uh, which was kind of a compilation of their uh, rarities and B-sides. Um, but yeah, so I, I hear you, but I think it in context of the album, for me, I kind of dig it because it is so creepy coming after a couple songs that are talking about murder. Um,
1: <laughs> you
0: know,
1: but I, I understand. It's, it's, it is it's kind a of- well done song. I just, it, it does nothing for me.
0: I understand. I understand. Um, you know, for me, it was a different one. Um, for me, I went with Andy, You're a Star. Um, really? Yeah. I, You know, again, I guess I kind of feel similarly to you about it. I think it's fine. You know, I, I think it's a song about a high school uh, wrestler, I think, who, um, I, I don't know, I'd read, I don't know if this is true, but that this was based on a sort of a jock from Brandon Flowers high school who kind of tormented him. Um, you know, and it's sort of a fake tribute to him. You know, the song is all about praising Andy, but it's kind of in a sardonic, ironic tone, um, which, you know, I can appreciate. But to me, it's just, it's a little grating. It's not something that I really, um. Ever and all the years that I've owned this album have said, you know, I'm gonna let me let me put on Andy Your Star." Um, you know, I, I don't think it gets in the way of the flow of the album, but um, I just don't think it stands up to the other ones.
1: I it's not a song I would go out of my way to listen to, but at the same rate, I, I'm surprised you chose that as your Nadir. I really am.
0: Really, you like that one?
1: I mean, I wouldn't go as far as to say I like it, but I don't dislike it. I think it's got a great sound. I think it's very glam, uh, and, and it's a little catchy too. I mean, I would I would put that above a couple of the other tracks in the album. I wouldn't put it in the top three or four songs in the album, but I would. Do, I, I think it's middle of the road.
0: Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, I had a tough time, I, you know, I feel like there's there's a handful of songs that I just love on this album. And then there's a bunch of deep cuts that, that I like a lot. And, uh, you know, there's a few that are maybe just a little below that. Um, you know, I don't, feel like, I don't feel like any of these really stand out as, oh, my God, this is an awful song. Why did they put it on here? Um, which is a testament to, I think, how good this album is. But, um, but yeah. But, um, hmm. How about for your sleeper? What, uh, you know, this is, for our listeners, this is a song that, you know, maybe you've kind of skimmed over in the past, uh, but then, you know, once in a while, it jumps out and catches your eye. Something's kind of under the radar.
1: There's There's a couple of sleeper moments on this album for me, but the one that's really stuck out to me of late is track number nine, Believe Me, Natalie. Uh, I like it. It's a catchy song. It's very endearing. There's great jangly guitar. The synthesizers uh, toward the beginning of the song are reminiscent of The Cure. In fact, the entire song reminds me of Closed Down by The Cure off their uh, Disintegration album from 1989. Uh, It's got that same sort of driving rhythm, the drums, the synthesizer, the whole nine yards. And it's just got your typical silly but entertaining killers Brandon Flowers lyric uh there is an old cliche under your Monet baby <laughs> right perfect uh I, I just think it's a I think it's a fun song I think it's very catchy not the best song on the album but it's a damn good song I, I really like it
0: yeah I think it's I think it's one of the better songs on the album you know and I read some stuff claiming that this was about uh, a woman with AIDS, which I I don't see in the lyrics, but um, really, (laughs) I mean, that's a little darker than, you know, to me, it it seems like it's a woman who, you know, used to be a dancer and she's, uh, she's kind of aging and she's got one last chance to, uh, you know, as she ages to kind of get out there and do what she used to do. I mean, I guess you can interpret it however you want, but I, I agree wholeheartedly that it's a, it's a really great song.
1: The dancer thing I could see, the AIDS thing, I never would've extracted from this.
0: Yeah, that's a bit much. Wow. You know, I love the intro to that. It's got, it's got this very kind of quiet, quiet intro, and then it sort of builds into this really just beautiful, lyrical song. Um, it, it,
1: it catches fire along the way.
0: It does. It does. Yeah, I think that's a really good pick.
1: Why, well, thank you. And what about you?
0: <laughs> you know, I almost went with that one. Um, the sleep- I had a fee-
1: yeah. feeling Yeah, you were going to go with that, actually. I, I genuinely thought you might have.
0: Well, I know that you really liked that one, and so I thought oh. that might be one you'd go with. So I wanted to steer clear of that. Um, I went with one that, you know, this one's a sleeper in the sense that sometimes when I listen to it, I'm into it. Other times, not so much. Um, but I think it's a sleeper because, in large part, it's the bonus track.
1: Um, oh, that's no—that's cheating, man! You can't do that. What do you mean? It's you on can't the- have the bonus track be the sleeper or any of the choices.
0: What? It's on the album.
1: Then why is it a bonus track?
0: Well, I mean, we've entered, we've entered uncharted territory here and the, you, these raise some interesting philosophical questions, but uh, I'm going with glamorous indie rock and roll as my sleeper. Um, but,
1: and I'll tell but you- But these right. go to 11. <laughs> <laughs> and this is, it's actually goes to 12. Uh, this is true.
0: Yeah. You know, this song, I think it's a good solid song um, but I love kind of the sentiment behind it because I think it really symbolizes where the killers came from. Um, you know it's kind of an ironic mocking of, uh, of hipsters basically and of, of a lot of the really stripped down um, type of music that, that, we, that you were talking about earlier. Um, and Brandon Flowers at one point told uh, Time Out Chicago in 2009, there's so much snobbery. You go through high school and all the paranoia and crap that goes with that, it's bullshit. I just didn't want to be like that. We like big songs and we're going to embrace it. And I think that that's exactly what the killers are. You know, they- yeah, That's
1: their manifesto right there.
0: Absolutely. And I just love it, you know, that they said, we're going to be big and bold and over the top. And if you don't like it, if you think it's too much, if you think it's cheesy, fuck you. Yeah,
1: um, exactly.
0: <laughs> um, you know, so that's that's my sleeper. Um, even if you right. don't acknowledge well,
1: the possible. No, when you you quote that article in in Brandon Flowers' reference to sort of a. Uh, going against what the hipsters wanted, then I suddenly respect and appreciate your choice.
0: (laughs) I know you're very very anti-hipster.
1: You know how I am about hipsters. You know I'm not a big fan of millennials, even though that's part of our audience. I'm sorry, folks. Um,
0: (laughs) (laughs) You know, we don't want to generalize. I mean...
1: No, of course not. Of course not.
0: Yeah. Is that why you haven't come out to the... (laughs) the Pacific Northwest to visit yet, or is it COVID? Oh,
1: yeah, that's, that's absolutely why. No, I mean, I don't give a crap about COVID, uh, <laughs> or, the, or the fire's spreading. I just don't want to have to, you know, go chew on edibles and sit around a fire pit at night drinking IPAs. I mean, it's just and wearing a flannel shirt. You know me. Come on, man. Oh,
0: I don't understand the IPA thing. I mean, it's everywhere. Here, and people are obsessed with it. I, to me, I, I'll take just about anything except an IPA.
1: Yeah, just have a goddamn Amstel light. Yeah, I'll take a bush light. I just don't want the IPA. It's terrible, terrible taste. But the, <laughs> the, those people out there where you live, Christopher, they love their IPAs. They do, they
0: do, and I don't understand it. I don't. Understand. Almost
1: as much as they love like their pork belly and their, uh, their kale, right. and their, it's just weird.
0: Well, you know, I get into the kale. I mean, I've got a.
1: Well, look, kale's good for you. It's good for all of us. So I'm, I'm down with kale and cauliflower. Um, but, you know, enough already with the pork products.
0: <laughs> I'm with you. I'm with you. Um, we digress here. Um, yes, we, we, do, we do. Let's get to the real good stuff. Let's get to the... Please. ...of this album. John, yes. I'm very curious to see what you picked as the high point of this album.
1: Oh, man, this one was easy. Uh, Without a doubt, the high point of this album for me is all these things that I've done. Mm -hmm. Uh, At first listen, the song is over the top and more than a bit ridiculous, but that's the whole damn point. The band is over the top and ridiculous, as we've been discussing for the last half hour, Chris. That's part of their charm and appeal. Uh, I've heard this song thousands of times. I never get tired of it. Even though I I never quite understand the repetitive, I've got soul, but I'm not a soldier. I have no clue what the hell that is supposed to mean. (laughs) But really, at the end of the day, who gives a shit? It's fun. It's epic. It's so infectious. Uh, I absolutely love this song. I think it really seals the album with a nice, pretty bow and makes it what it is. Uh, My only minor qualm with the song is its placement. I've always felt that this song should be the album's closer, closer rather. Uh, in fact, it surprised me when I dragged it out to listen to it uh, these past couple of weeks for the first time in several years. It surprised me that it hits you. What is it? Track number three, track number four, I think. Um,
0: I was... Yeah, it's right in, it's somewhere between three. It's and... number
1: five. Yeah. Number five. Yeah. To me, it should be the last song on the album. Yeah. Um, but hmm. that's a minor, minor issue. I absolutely positively love that song. I never get tired of it.
0: It is a fantastic one. And I, I especially love the end of that song as it kind of culminates, you know, they get into the I got soul, but I'm not a soldier part. And then from there, I mean, it just really soars through the outro. Um, and I, you know, especially in that section there, it's, it's got that, that distortion. Um, you know, they used a, this, what is it called? Um, in the production, they used this thing called Echo Farm. Are you familiar with this? I can't say I am, no. It's a vocal effect. And um, I guess it, I don't know anything about this stuff, but apparently it's like a pretty simple one um, where it just kind of, uh, I think Flowers described it as overdriving the vocal, uh, and it gives it a little delay. So you know how throughout this album it kind of got that, the vocals, they almost have like a, it's like it's through a filter, like a little distorted. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. And I think it just adds, it adds this other layer of uh, complexity and richness. Um, and in that, in that song, I think you especially hear it at the end. Um, it's a great, that's a great song. That one takes you through
1: so many kind of movements, you know? It does. It does. I, it's a brilliant song. I absolutely love it. And yet, I have this sneaky suspicion: this is not what you chose.
0: I didn't. I didn't Wow I that song. But uh, I had to go with this one's a little bit of a sentimental one, and okay, I, not not just sentimental because I think it's an incredible song too. But I went with Mr. Brightside. Good choice. Um, this is just a, it's just a tornado of a song from the beginning. Uh, it just comes out of you, coming out of my cage and I've been doing just fine. Gotta, gotta be down because I want it all. Um, you know, the story it tells is so over the top about this guy who's uh, <laughs> you know, lost his girl, <clears throat> and she's with another guy, um, but that song, man, from the drop, it, it, it just doesn't stop. It's relentless in its pacing Um, and I just love it. That's one, you know, I think, I think I actually heard, um, what was the other big one? Um, Why is it? Somebody told me. Somebody told me, I think I heard that one first, even though it was released second. Um, And I really liked that one. But then when I heard Mr. Brightside, I thought, man, you know, these guys, I got to buy this album. I mean, this yeah. is, this is incredible. Um,
1: I, am always leery of, of choosing the most popular song on the album is the Zenith. I feel like it's, it's sort of like taking the easy way out. Um, and had you, had you gone with somebody told me, I'd probably be giving you a hard time right now, but Mr. Brightside, which I think was equally as popular as somebody told me, probably even a little bit more popular.
0: I think it's a popular song probably, yeah.
1: Yeah, it's such a damn good song. Um, And it's so catchy and it's got this great build to it that I, uh, I, I can't argue with you.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's so powerful. Jealousy, turning saints into the sea, swimming through sick lullabies, choking on your alibis but it's just the price I pay. Destiny is calling me, open up my eager eyes cause I'm Mr. Brightside. It's, it's fantastic. It's beautiful. And do you know what I love in this? And I don't know if this is something obvious that everyone is sort of aware of, but to me, there's this part early on, right? Where it's not just early on. It's, uh, it started out with a kiss. How did it end up like this? Um, and he's, he's rhyming lines, right? Now I'm falling asleep and she's calling a cab while he's having a smoke and she's taking a drag. Now they're going to bed and my stomach is sick and it's all in my head, but she's touching his, and what are you expecting to hear there?
1: Right. You're here, yeah. stomach is sick, but she's touching his dick. Um, and oh, I thought you were gonna say nightstick. His nightstick. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's such a funny little thing where they
0: totally right. down that path, and they drop and touching his chest now. Um, but
1: see, and that that there's a beautiful thing there that you touch upon because you know the touching of his genitalia would allude to a, a real sort of wild, raucous sexual encounter. Touching his chest would suggest a bit more of intimacy. Which probably makes the man singing the song that much more paranoid and and sad. Yeah, if you think about it.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, um, I think it's great. I, I agree with you. I have, I'm hesitant sometimes to pick the most popular ones, but this one to me just had, I just have such a visceral reaction when I hear this song that uh, I had to go with it.
1: Listen, I can't argue with it. It's a fantastic song.
0: Yeah. Um, now, John, do you have any, uh, any personal memories, uh, any pop culture references that really strike you pertaining to this album?
1: There's, there's a few pop culture references, but I'm going to go with a personal memory, and it's kind of a, a strange but, but very sentimental one for me. Um, and this may come as a shock to people who don't know me, or to those who do know me, but I used to write and direct some children's theater, as I'm sure you recall, Chris. I do. Uh, Though I haven't done it in several years, Um, and and maybe this story is why. But in uh, the summer of 2006, I had done a show for a local children's theater program here in town. And the way they did it was the, the, the main stage would be the... 15, 16, 17, 18 year olds, 18 year olds rather. And they would do a, they would license the rights to a Broadway show. And then they would do for the, the step down, the kind of the B team, the satellite stage. well, satellite stage, maybe not the best phrase to use, but the, the 12, 13, 14 year olds who couldn't get a part in the main stage show would work on this kind of secondary, uh, show which would be a spoof on the main stage show so the main stage that summer were doing Seussical the musical which was of course based on the works of Dr. Seuss so I had to write and direct a show that was based on that but sort of sending it up having some fun with it so I wrote a show called The Silence of the Green Eggs and Hams Yeah, which was, as you may recall, Doctor Seuss meets Hannibal Lecter. Uh, So, of course, of
0: course,
1: of course, because that's what you do with thirteen-year-olds, right? Um, And I insisted that all these things that I've done be in the show, and I rewrote the lyrics slightly to have it fit the storyline. The musical director thought I was nuts because of this. I mean, she thought I was nuts anyway, but. The kids absolutely loved it. It was their favorite number to perform. And it was the finale of the show. Uh, and they completely nailed it. And I just uh, have a very, very good memory of that.
0: <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, I, for the listeners, John has done some uh, Rushmore-esque work in his day. Um, I miss it. Yeah, I, I remember the, uh, one of the first was, he was working uh, at a summer camp. At Campo Beach in Westport, right?
1: That's right.
0: And sure. um, you know, he, he tells me, uh, you know, I got the, I got the kids reenacting the Kennedy assassination. Uh, and I was like, what? what are School kids? And, and no, they're like, I think they're elementary school kids, weren't they?
1: Well, it was it was American History Week, first of all, because every week <laughs> had a different theme. And yeah, I mean, they were like nine. Um, <laughs> But yeah, we, we reenacted it. And I'll tell you, after we did the reenactment, myself and the camp counselors, we were convinced there was a second shooter. No questions asked.
0: <laughs> I'm pretty sure that I, that I dropped by because I was working in Westport that summer as well. And I, I remember dropping by because you told me what you were doing. And uh, yeah, I remember this, <laughs> this little like, eight-year-old kid. Kind of standing up in the motorcade and and waving and then, you know, <laughs> acting out as though he had been shot in the head and and falling to the ground. It was,
1: uh, it was tremendous. I never worked in that town again, uh, at least not for that camp. Yeah, but especially. Don't even get me started with what happened during Native American Week. But we'll we'll, okay. save, we'll save that for another episode. <laughs>
0: Um, wow. Well, that's, that's a fantastic memory. Um, for me, I, you know, I've talked a little bit about some of the, the personal aspects of this album, but there, I'm going to file this under pop culture. And I think, I think we need to talk about it. There, there are several theories that this entire album is about a homosexual murder.
1: I've have you, heard this.
0: Did you come across this? And Yeah, I, I have. You know, it makes an awful lot of sense, actually. Um, You know, even like if you look at, if you listen to Mr. Brightside, um, you know, even the perspective on that, it's not not talking about the man touching the woman. He's concerned about the woman touching the man, right? Right. Um, And then, of course, somebody told me, I mean, that has that whole crazy line of, you know, somebody told me that you had a, boyfriend who looked like a girlfriend that I had in February of last year, which is amazing line. But, you know, again, it's kind of bending gender there. Um, And I think the, what I read at least, you know, all these things that I've done is uh, after the homosexual act, sort of the, uh, the shame. Sure. We've got Andy, you're a star about this high school wrestler who they're, The narrator is kind of fake, maybe not fake, fawning over. Then you've got on top. um, You know.
1: I I think that speaks for itself.
0: I think so. But uh, yeah, you know, I never, I never in all the years that I've listened to this thought that, but it makes some
1: sense. It does make sense. I've heard that before. I've read that before. I would not be the least bit surprised. Yeah um
0: anyway you know we always ask also how how much do you think this album captures the zeitgeist came out in uh, summer of 2004
1: sure in some respects quite well i mean as someone who was frequenting a lot of bars lounges clubs in late 04 and until five i can tell you that somebody told me mr brightside were everywhere Mm -hmm. uh So in that regard, this album has become synonymous with that time uh, for me. And it's as synonymous as the 20-something females who were slugging down Cosmos and shaking their asses to these songs up at the bar while wearing, you know, the fashion of the day, the low-rise boot-cut jeans and clutching their coach purses. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I I mean, it's, it's true, though. When I hear Mr. Brightside, when I hear somebody told me, Chris, I'm immediately transported to sometime in 2005 at a at a lounge or a club or a, a bar, and it's, you know, the last song of the night that they're playing, and it's, yeah, it takes me right back. So in that respect, yeah, I think it does.
0: Yeah, I'd agree. I think it's, I think it captures the zeitgeist, um, you know, it kind of just at the beginning of this this period. You know, it's a little bit, ahead of its time uh, musically, because things were sort of shifting. But So I think it's on the early end of sort of the rebound of uh, new wave pop, the renaissance of, of 80s and new wave pop music. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I think it really paved the way for a lot of the stuff that came later on in that decade, and, and even still today.
1: Um, I would agree 100%.
0: What uh, do you think? This is a perfect album.
1: Uh I don't actually. I, I like this album a lot, but there's a couple too many moments where I find myself losing interest. To be quite honest with you, I think it's a great album, uh, and, and I get why this album was as successful as it was. You know, it was a breath of fresh air, as we said, to American college kids and twenty somethings during the middle part of the first decade of the new millennium. Um. But I don't know. I Like I said, I lose interest. I think there's a few too many weak moments. And this is an ironic thing, Chris. I, it's probably, the, it is the most successful and most acclaimed Killers album. But I actually think their best songs are on their subsequent albums. Mm. Even though this is probably their best album, if that makes any sense.
0: No, it does. I kind of had a, a similar thought as I was going through this. I mean, they, to me, I think their best songs are really scattered. Um, they are. You know, to me, they tend to have a couple really great songs on just about every album. Um, but, you know, there's, I don't think there's any one album that's got, you know, four or five uh, great ones. You know, it's got four or five good ones to be sure, but um, I would agree some of the other albums we've done.
1: So um, do, you, do you feel it's a perfect album?
0: I don't think so. And to me, this album is very, I keep coming back to the word raw, you know, it's very raw feeling. And so I, I almost don't think it's meant to, you know, you think of a perfect album as kind of all the edges are tucked in and everything's neat and tidy. And this one has a feeling that it's a little bit, you know, it spills out over the edges. And um, so I I guess I'd say it's not perfect, but maybe it wasn't meant to be. Right. Exactly. Which I don't know if that somehow ironically makes it, perfect but
1: um. and, and really how many debut albums are perfect i mean you know yeah. boston boston's first album and and a handful of others uh but really artists aren't supposed to achieve perfection till two three four albums in so it, it's not perfect but it doesn't have to be
0: yeah no i mean all they needed to do was just come out and and do what they did. I mean, it's so much more than anyone would have expected. So I, whether it's perfect or not, it's a, it's one of the great debut albums of the last couple decades.
1: It is. And you know, I want to piggyback on something I said earlier about this being a band that wears their influences on their sleeve. And if you were to do a simple Google search of the bands, uh, the songs that this band has covered um, over the years, uh, in the brief, what, 15 years that they've uh, they've mm. been around. It's incredible because they cover Ultraviolet by U2, which is one of the better cuts off of Octone Baby. Uh, um, yeah. Just What I Needed by The Cars. Uh, Romeo and Juliet by Dire Straits, which, spoiler alert, we're going to be talking about that sometime soon.
0: Yeah.
1: Um go all the way by the raspberries one of my favorite songs i think that speaks volumes to this band and to their their influence and how they're willing to sort of pay homage to uh to all these great acts that influenced them and, and came before them and i i really think that's fantastic
0: they don't just cover those i mean they do good cover versions of some they do some really daunting songs i mean to to cover ultraviolet is <laughs> <clears throat> you know that take some gumption and they do a really good job with it. Yeah, absolutely. Final thoughts, great album. If you have somehow never, I mean, I'm sure everyone has heard the big songs off of this, but if you haven't heard the full album, it's definitely worth a listen. A lot of the deep is quite good. Um, And it's another one that I think goes by pretty quickly uh, because it is just, it's a real force of nature, this album. So do check it
1: out. And speaking of Force of Nature, uh, do also check out our social media. Chris, do you want to plug Twitter?
0: Yeah, you can find us on Twitter at PodcastClosely. And I uh, am. Instagram I'm, account.
1: Yes, I am thrilled to say that uh, we are now on Instagram at ListenClosely.podcast. Chris and I are going to fight it out behind the scenes as to who has to set the Facebook page. Um, and the Snapchat. Was <laughs> that nobody uses Facebook anymore? No, I know. I, as long as we're on Twitter and uh, Instagram, I think we're fine. We've got
0: to maybe get a TikTok page
1: going. I, that's what I was thinking. Videos of you dancing to um, <laughs> to various killers and Phil Collins songs. I think is going to be fantastic. Oh, Lord. Nobody
0: wants to see that.
1: Um, You'd be surprised.
0: Yeah. Yeah. All right, John. Well, it's been a pleasure
1: always a pleasure
0: and uh we'll we'll chat again soon
1: tune in again soon everyone so long